What's up? My name is Alex Terranova. I am the host of the Dream Mason podcast. Welcome. We started this in 2017 because we wanted to highlight the journey of Dream Masons. There's a Dream Mason in all of us. A Dream Mason is someone who is awake to their dreams and driven by the passion, the purpose, and the desire to turn that dream into reality. We interview athletes, gold medalists, Super Bowl champions, artists, creatives, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs, spiritual leaders, and everyone in between. And sometimes we even walk them through challenges that they're currently facing. So depending on whether you're catching this as a regular interview or a playing with problems segment, there is something for you, whether you're at the peak of your journey, at the low point of your journey. I look forward to having you join me on this journey. And I hope that this show helps you unleash your inner Dream Mason. What's up? Welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. So a few weeks ago, months ago, I don't know exactly how long ago, I threw out a call to the universe, to the Facebook universe, to the Instagram universe, to communities I'm involved in, that I was looking for men to come be on this podcast, to talk about masculinity, to talk about the challenges of masculinity, to talk about what they're seeing in the world around men and masculinity, the good, the bad, the 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 lack of either being good or bad um and uh i had a lot of people respond and one of uh the people that responded is our guest here today and uh let me tell you a little bit about him and we're going to kind of just dive in and see where this conversation takes us because that's the kind of guy he is and that's kind of the conversation i wanted to have with him so our guest today is lee povey Lee is a human behavior and performance coach. He coaches individuals, groups, leaders, and teams in high performance, effective communication, and emotional regulation. And this is really cool. He was a national, he is a national team coach, or he was a national team coach. Um, and for track sprint cycling, which I don't even know what it is, but I see the jerseys in his background. I see the awards. I'm guessing, and he's going to tell me in a minute if I'm right, is when they were, when you're cycling around an actual track instead of just like out in the world. Lee, what's up, man? Thanks for being here. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having us on. I'm excited to have this conversation about men and what we both say. I resonate very strongly with a lot of the stuff that you shared as we talked about before we got started today. So yeah, track cycling's an Olympic sport, six gold medals, three men, three for women, uh, one team event, two individual events, and it takes place on the 250 meter wooden banked velodrome. Um, there are also outdoor velodromes of varying lengths. My old one back in Brighton, Preston Park, where I first started as a as a 12 year old, is 580 meters round, around two cricket pitches. So a little bit different from the international standard that we use now. Okay, how far is that? In like, uh, you know, I don't know what meters are. So how far, how far is that? Is that a few miles? In freedom units, uh, it's about a third of a mile in freedom units. Okay. In freedom units. That's what they, that's what you guys call them. That's funny. I just, I, just, I think, I think of how the U S has different, uh, measuring things as a difficult, they may just had to make it harder instead of just using what everyone used and we would have all figured it out. We had to make it more complex, right? We had to use pounds and feet and inches and it's like, you know, and, and Fahrenheit. <laughs> we could ask. A whole separate podcast about what it's like to move to America from the UK, because obviously the imperial system, which is the correct name for it, um, came from the UK originally, and then we moved to the metric system because it's so much easier to use. So when I was in school, I got taught by, I got taught the metric system and the imperial system. The only thing that the UK still uses the imperial system for is speed limits and distances. Everything else is the metric system. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's odd to me that there's it's it's very odd to me that there's things that work in the world and then we find that we have to make new things that don't necessarily work as well or just simply make it more difficult so that we're unique and different from other people in the world. Um let's talk about masculinity. Why did you want to come on here and talk let, let's just start with that. What what had you want to come on here and have a conversation about that? Yeah. Um it's such a broad topic to me. I'm not sure exactly where to start. I think Probably my relationship with it might be a good place to start. Um, my dad um, was what I thought at the time, and 
even people now would think of as kind of uh, the embodiment of masculinity, so hyper-masculine. So um, he was big. He was, he could be aggressive physically. He was very confident. He was good looking. He kind of looked after himself. Um, um, and as a young boy, I looked up to him and I thought, this is what masculinity is. Now, as I got older and into my teenage years, uh, probably even younger than that, I started to realize he was not what I thought masculinity was. But I still didn't have a version of it because there was really nobody around. I didn't, he didn't have any male friends really. So there was nobody else around for me to look at and go, what is masculinity? I just started to realize it wasn't this guy. So he cheated on my mom repeatedly. Um, he lied about everything. He was violent for stupid reasons. You know, every car journey we were at, he used to tend to bite races. He would try to race somebody, then try to get into a fight with them. So every journey was like the most stressful thing you can imagine. As I'm going to a race and preparing to race, that's the last thing I need. And then when I'm coming home and I'm exhausted, you know, I have to keep my wits about me because I'm either trying to stop him from getting out of the car and get into a fight, or I've got to think, like, what's my escape plan if this happens? So it was a really painful experience. Um, lots of similarities with Donald Trump, but just without the wealth. So the narcissism, the grandiosity, um, the lack of care for others. So that's what I grew up with. And yeah, as I entered into, I started entering into adulthood, I realized I didn't want to carry that legacy on. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to be a man. Um, I saw other men as vehicles. So I either did sports with them, and I was very sporty, so I did a lot of sports with men, or they were an opportunity to go to pubs and to nightclubs to meet women. But I wouldn't say I had great, secure friendships with men. I don't think I knew what those meant at that time. What do you, I love it, you, the power, the violence, the money you brought up, not with your dad, but with the Donald Trump, yeah. the sports and the women. Pretty like sums up the average guy. I think it sums up what we've been taught or right, that's not even fair, but it sums up the media portrayal of men. Okay. So what's the media portrayal of men? When we think about fields, tough, prepared to fight, successful, you know, any kind of film, the, the male love interest is usually very wealthy, you know, millionaires or billionaires, which is not the majority of us. Um, there's some kind of callousness or coldness about them. You think of James Bond, um, sleeps with a lot of women, very successful and charming, but never really lets them in. There's no real emotional uh, closeness or intimacy in their relationships. Yeah. And um, when you're a young man, for me, it's your father as your male role model. And then when you look outside that, it's people in the media. So it's sports stars, actors. That's who you're being kind of guided towards. That's the view. And then obviously the other men in your life, your male friends as you go through school, and then the older men, the you know, teachers, people that you come across with in your life. You know, for me, it's been sports coaches. And, you know, I've had incredible role, role models as sports coaches. I, I would, you know, I would say the most influential man in my life is one of my sports coaches who ended up becoming a business partner. Mm. And he's now probably my best friend. These are great. This I love this. The the cold, the coldness, the callousness, the James Bond kind of energy, um, the lack of intimacy. I do think, you know, I think the media portrayal is just a extension of the society. The that if if the media was portraying men in a way that what that we didn't identify as being real to some degree, we would reject it and it wouldn't go well. Um, you know, the if if it occurred as like completely untrue or not real. And I think, um, yeah, the media put, puts it on the big scale for us to see, but we ha already had those beliefs and we've had those beliefs um, for hundreds of years. I mean, even if we think about uh, ancient societies, um, you know, Rome and Greece, gladiators, gods, 
a lot of them carry a lot of these same, um, this same like harsh fatherness, uh, authoritarianness, um, get it done, get results, but without that, no feelings are allowed. What's the, uh, what did you get from your dad that was helpful? A desire not to follow his footsteps. Mm. I think that's the most helpful thing I genuinely got from him. Mm. Uh, maybe my physicality, right? I got athletic gifts from him and I'm six foot two and I'm 200 pounds. And, you know, that's, that's a gift for a man. Yeah. Um, mainly, I think there was a determination not to turn out like him. Mm. You know, I saw the damage he was causing to me. Uh, the rest of the children, he fathered at least 12 children that I know of. Um, you know, they just kind of came out of the woodwork from everywhere. But the day I left the UK, a guy messaged me on Facebook and said, I think we have the same father and sent a picture of my dad. Wow. That happened more than once. So um, it was, it was, it was, a, a, you know, just a repulsion to the mess that he left behind. Mm. And I want to come back to, to what you said yeah. about you know, like the media portrayal of men. And I think there's been plenty of men in history that don't fit that mold. If I think of like the likes of Marcus Aurelius, you know, they speak about a different way of being as a man. Um, but for some reason, it, it, it's, it's not, um, they don't fit the mold of hero. Yeah. So it's it's the media kind of exaggerates and uh, turns them into you know cartoon characters almost of what real masculinity is. Because I'm sure when you look around with your friends, you know my friends, most of them are not going to get into a bar fight yeah. because somebody spilled their drink or because yeah. somebody you know offended them. <laughs> yeah. So that's not what I actually experienced. I mean, but there's a caricature version of that. And this is what younger men and boys are receiving. And, you know, what I really like about you, Alex, and what really resonates with me is how do we, as mature men, talk to the other younger boys and young men and older men about what actually it means to be a man that is in countenance to this media portrayal of the, you know, the sullen hero um, who, you know, resorts to violence, who treats women poorly, um, like, how do we do that? And how do we reach these guys? Because in the media, especially social media, those that speak the story of success and sleep with lots of women and the pickup artist kind of stuff, they get huge following. Yeah. You know, I think we have to first, um, I think we have to first look at just like what feels good. You know, I spent a lot of years myself chasing and getting a lot of women. And what I noticed is it felt good in the moment, but afterwards it didn't feel good. It never felt good. You know, after a, a woman would leave my house, I usually felt pretty gross. You know, it wasn't like I felt like necessarily dirty like that. It was just kind of like... I didn't even like her. Like, why did I, you know, I liked her for what she could give me. It was very transactional. Um, you know, can I do what I need to do to get sex out of this person? Um, and it felt good in the moment, but if it doesn't feel good after that tells the story, you know, if you go to a, if you and I go to a buffet and we eat so much food that we feel sick after that's not, that's what, what that, that like, as one of, one of my friends says, that's like living in scarcity. I'm going to eat so much food because I paid for it. I got to get the most that I can get out of it. Versus if we went to a place and we spent the same amount of money and we had a very small meal, but we were like, oh, that was delicious, satisfying, and my body feels good. And I think we don't look at the, as men, not just around this with women, but maybe with drugs, with alcohol, with sports. I used to spend a ton of time watching sports. And then I would, my emotions would be pulled in the directions of the teams. And then I, then I, after I couldn't go about my life as I wanted to. Same thing. I'm going to go out and drink with people and that's fun. But then how long am I penalized for right in the, like, oh, in the, um, in the hangover 
or, or the health impacts of it versus going like, who am I committed to being as a human being? And how do I want to feel as a human being? Now, that doesn't mean you can't ever have sex or you can't ever watch sports or you can't ever drink, but it's done so with an intentionality of the outcome that you want. So do I drink still? Absolutely. Maybe like once a month, you know, once a month, me and my wife go, and we're like, let's go day drink, you know, and we'll go sit outside somewhere really nice. And I will drink until I don't feel so great. But once a month, right? And then the rest of the month, I get to be the person I want to be all the time, you know? And I think about like, even in my relationship with her, I picked a woman who it's easy. It's fun. But you know what there isn't? The, the, the dynamic tension and the tug of war that can feel so hot, right? When you're, when you're playing that chase with a woman. But also, how does it feel? Stressful and anxiety, and it's a distraction from all the other things. And I think we, we as men often go for the thing that feels good in the moment that doesn't always, and I, when I say us as men, us as men who aren't paying attention, who aren't conscious, who aren't playing, right? Like even your, your point in the bar, oh, I'm going to get into a bar fight because it's going to make me feel good right now. It's going to make me feel strong right now. But does it really feel good later that I either hurt someone or that someone hurt me or that we ruined a night, we broke things, we destroyed things, and what was the impact on other people? Does that really actually feel good? Does that like feel like the kind of person you want to be? And I would say, and if it does, then you probably should be an MMA fighter or a boxer, right? There are avenues for that, that it's acceptable. So if that does feel good to like put, to create pain and things like that, well, then where could you put that energy in a way that it's actually sourcing you and our society versus a way that's like destroying you and our society? I feel like I just kind of went off on, what, what, what are you, what are you yes. getting? Oh, mate, there's so much I could jump in on that. I used to book. I used to work on the door of a lot of box. And I'll tell you now, 95% of them would never get into a bar fight. Mm -hmm. They walk away. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like when I go kart race, I drive slower on the freeway <laughs> because I'm exercising that need for speed and competition. And I think they're the same, you know, they're training. And there's also then like a risk, right? They know that they hurt somebody and, and they don't want to do that. You know, very few people really want to hurt someone. You've got to be fairly sociopathic to do that. I think there was a theme to what you just said that I'd like to pick out. I think it's really important to highlight, which is the theme of we have choice. And I think this is what often was not portrayed to us. You know, you look in the media, you listen to these people talking about men, and the choice is taken away from men. This is how men have to be. This is how we have to react. And you know what? We're all different as men. I know you run men's groups. I run men's groups. I've been in men's groups for 20 years, probably more now. I've gone on 50 this week. So I've been <laughs> in men's groups for 25 years. Mm -hmm. So that experience was so pivotal to me for learning what a man could be because I was exposed to all of these men that didn't behave the way that I told them it should be. Yeah, I admired them. I looked up to them. I loved them. I wanted to be around them. And it really changed my perspective and understanding of what being a man meant or what masculinity meant. You know, I see stuff now, men's work, and it's kind of your warrior led, and this is what you got to step into. And you know what? Most of the men that I work with, that doesn't resonate with them. It's not what they're about. Um, so for me, it's more about choice. So it's choice about our actions, just as you were saying. You know, I think back to, you know, when you were talking about chasing women, I, I'll even go a step further. I think back, I was in nightclubs and, you know, it's getting to 12 o'clock, one o'clock. I wasn't a big drinker. So by then people are drunk. I don't really want to be there, but I felt this immense drive that I had to meet a woman to take her home or I was not a good human being. Like I yeah. was unworthy. I was unlovable. Yeah, if like I didn't go home with a woman, I was a failure. And I felt it like an anxiety. And then as you say, you go home. You know, you have that experience and that's exciting. Then the experience finishes and you're like, 
I don't even, I'm not fully sure. You know, I could find something attractive about you when I needed validity and when I was feeling horny, but now I don't you to be attracted to you apart from what you look like physically. Yeah. And often that wasn't enough for me. So yeah, I've really had those experiences, but emptiness afterwards where you just think, why am I doing this? Like it's not bringing me what I want. I passed from short term in that moment and then having those actual fulfilling relationships. And I couldn't have those with women until I did work on myself as a man. Yeah. Like until I was in men's groups and until I watched other men love. And I was like, oh, that's what love looks like. Mm. Wow. That's so different from what I learned growing up. What are you seeing out there in the world? You know, I know we, you and I have talked about this a little bit, like the, the things out in the world that are getting a lot of attention, but that don't occur as what we need, you know, that occur as more of the old paradigm. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to really educate myself on it. So I became aware of the likes of Andrew Tate, uh, you know, reasonably recently. Um, it's not, it wasn't publicized on my YouTube. So for whatever I watch, I didn't come across that stuff, but I was hearing yeah. people talk about the likes of him. So I started watching it and um, I get it. There was a really good video. I can't remember the guy's name on a YouTube channel I thought called uh, Big Think. Uh, great channel, recommend it to anybody. Lots of scientific exploration into what's happening in the world, lots of psychology and from really reputable sources that research and these are not opinions. They're coming with real evidence and data. And this guy was talking about how when there was a big shift to improve women's education, women's participation in sport, uh, women's participation in, in higher education, at that time, there was 20% 20 less women in higher education. Massive push to get them involved, funding, effort. That's now switched. And now there's 20% more women than men in higher education. Now, women in their 20s and 30s are better educated, do better at school, girls do better at school. They tend to finish school about a year ahead of their male counterparts on average. And they're getting better degrees, and there's more of them getting degrees. They're now having better outcomes in the workplace in their 20s than men are. So what we're left with is this disenfranchised group of young men that are there just as social media hits just as they're able to share their feelings with other men, and just as they're able to be led by nefarious characters that are leveraging this discomfort, this frustration for financial gain. And, you know, often it comes across to begin with as I'm here, I'm here supporting these men, I'm going to teach you how to be successful, especially in America where we have this ethos of the American dream, which is, you know, the man goes and makes the money. He earns a ton of money, becomes a millionaire, marries a really hot woman, has a you know nice car, has a really nice house, has two kids, that's a dream. There's no mention of relationship in that dream. There's no mention of community in that dream. So you've got a lot of lonely young men who feel like they're not attractive, they're not as successful as their female counterparts are, and I want to be very clear here, I think it's very important that women were supported like that and continue to be supported like that. There's no need to cut women down to allow men to be better. We just need to be looking at these young men and thinking of other avenues for their success. Do we need vocational education opportunities, which is something we lack here in America, for those men to go and take part in? Do we need to be looking at these young men and realizing why they're so disenfranchised and why they're so angry? We've got this whole generation of young men that are grown up angry and they're easily manipulated by that anger. They feel disenchanted. They feel like they're hard done by. They feel like they can't succeed. And that's a dangerous group. You're on mute, mate. Thank you. Thank you. My, my chair squeaks, so <laughs> I'm not talking for a little while. I'll put it on mute. Thanks for letting me know. Um, yeah, I, I like, couldn't, I mean, I agree with that. And I've, I've read things about this exactly the same. And I, I also genuinely feel like, uh, 
for a long, long time, men had to be these, life was hard. Life was much harder. Like for a long time ago, life was just about survival. Could we survive? And then over time, you know, the, the, the baby boomer generation, you know, uh, the Great Depression, World War II, those were harder times. And then like, times started to get easier. But the men from those times were hard. Those are hard, like calloused men. And those hard calloused men raised sometimes hard calloused men, or it went the opposite way. They were so hard and callous, the men they raised were very soft because they didn't want to be like that. And now we're beyond both of those periods. And now we're at a period where men, a man can be whatever he wants. He doesn't have to be hard and calloused. He can be, right? He can go to the gym and build muscle and work on his body, but he doesn't need to. He doesn't, there's not a fight showing up at most men's doors on a regular basis. He does, if he wants to be strong, he can be, but it's a choice. And if he wants to be nurturing and loving and kind and gentle, he also can be. And um, I think a lot of what, what is happening is um, because men were, men were one way for so long, and now men don't have to be that way anymore, men don't know how to be. There's not like a new box to step into. Now, I don't think we need any boxes at all, but boxes and definitions and labels make us feel comfortable. You know, as much as we don't, we don't like to be labeled, we love labels. We love having something that puts us in a group that we can identify with because it means we know it, we're comfortable with it. And I think that a lot of what these men are doing, these guys online, these leaders is, we're showing you a box that you're familiar with. Strong, powerful men who make money and fuck women. And while we, you, don't, you can be that, it's still an option. They're posing it as it's the only option because you're a man. This is the, this is, look at history. This is how men have always been. This is who we are. And, you know, and I look at this and I go, God, it's so unfortunate because how boring to have something be the way that it's always been and never change, right? Like, you know, like anything. I mean, pizza is the best food in the world, but do you want to eat pizza for every meal because it's a great food? Like it's going to get boring. I want to adapt. I want to evolve it. I want to have many choices. And, you know, one day I might want steak and one day I might want pizza and one day I might just want vegetables. But, but the ability to have all of it to me is, is what we're missing. And these, these leaders or these so-called leaders in this world are really going, no, pizza's always been the best. It's always been the best. History shows us it's the best. This is why you want it. And this is why it's good for you. Um, I find it really challenging because I am like, it's, it's, it sells, right? This problem really sells. And what you're advocating for or what I'm advocating for, which is actually the, you can have all of it. You can have whatever you want. You can pick and choose and you can actually live a full life. Isn't as sexy on the surface. I think it's sexier when you're in it, but to get there, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it's not as sexy as, as betting a million women or having a pile of money. I, I really agree with that last part. I, I, there's a, there's an attractiveness to it that we've been sold. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what allows these, you know, I, I do think they're nefarious characters on the whole they're in it for the money it's a grift it allows these nefarious characters to sell that image of what you could be and they're selling fame and they're selling wealth and they're selling you know a level of promiscuity that 99.9% .9 of the people they're selling it to will never achieve because it's just not realistic it's not going to happen for them um, and then they're shaming those that don't want that so there's an you know what's one of the powerful tools to use on men shame you know, you think about when you're young, don't be a pussy, don't be weak. I, I, I challenge, I, I'm not sure this is the way that men have always been. I think if you look at tribal times, um, men were much more involved in child rearing. It was a bigger community. Uh, and then we kind of moved into the more industrial ages and we moved into those and we had these very strict roles for men and women. And it became less community oriented. And it was like, this is what a man looks like. This is what a woman looks yeah. like. This is what a man wears. This is what a woman wears, you know? So we're not actually built for such a strict purpose in life. 
but we've been told we are. I really agree with what you're saying there. Like this messaging from an early age for boys is, this is what a man is. Men don't show their emotions. You know, a lot of the work that I do, and I'm sure you do the same when we're working with men is teaching them how to have an emotional experience. Like, what is it you're feeling? What does that tell you about the world? I don't teach the concept of good emotions and bad emotions. An emotion is just data on what you're experiencing. And it's, it's giving you information. What is it the world is telling me? What am I experiencing? How would I like this to be different from having this feeling? What is it telling me? I'm angry when my boundaries are being broken. Right, what am I going to do about that? And we don't teach that. And, and women suffer from this too. In some ways, they have a bigger range of emotional experience because they're allowed to feel more emotions, but they're not allowed to feel angry. If a woman feels angry, she's called shrill and, you know, all kinds of insults. So men are allowed to feel a bit more anger, but they're definitely not allowed to feel, you know, sadness or fear. You're going to get very shamed for that. So we're teaching kids not to have the full gambit of emotional experiences, and then they don't know what to do because they are having these emotional experiences. You know, these young boys, and most of them seem to be in their early teenage years, they're getting taken up with the likes of, um, you know, the Jordan Peterson messaging. Um, it, it's these young boys that are very impressionable and they're looking for mentors. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, what do we need? We need mentors that are talking about what you can have that is real, that isn't this, you know, alpha male bullshit that doesn't even really exist. I mean, you know, the funny thing is the whole experiment about the alpha wolf, it was, it was wrong. The guy that did the experiment and discovered in captivity, this is how wolves behave, went and studied them in the wild and found out in the wild they don't behave anything like that. It was a product of their captivity that made them like that. So, you know, the whole alpha thing is a bit of a weird well, myth anyway. It's, it's also the funniest. It's, it boggles my mind because often the whole alpha conversation is a whole bunch of men idolizing a man who's telling them, this is how you be alpha. But inside of that conversation, a whole bunch of men are idolizing the man, making them not alphas. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's, it's like a backwards. It's like by sitting here watching a man tell you how to be an alpha, you are not an alpha. Yeah. You're, do, you're doing the, th the thing that you're trying to avoid. And yeah. in being the teacher of that, you're actually creating sheep. You're creating, right? And so it's like, I'm, I'm like baffled when I see this of what, of, and that shows me the desperation because it's like, I'm so angry. I'm so sad. I feel so lack of opportunity that, I can't even see the backwardsness to the thing I'm doing. You know, I had a, um, I had a thing that was posted online that a lot of these guys came and attacked me and, you know, they would be like, oh, he's a soy boy. He's a beta, you know? And then a guy would go, oh yeah, bro. He's clearly a beta. Another guy would go, oh yeah, he's clearly a beta. And I was sitting there reading these comments and sort of giggling about, Look at these guys all, all chuckle and band together. Nothing about that is alpha, right? Like even the terminology of like, what is, what is an alpha and a beta, right? What does that even mean? And I can't and explain it to you, Alex, when you try to ask them to, yeah, there's no real explanation. It's like, well, be really strong, right? Well, you know, I'm a world-class sprint athlete. Yeah. You come work out in the gym with me, you're going to get embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make me more alpha than you? Yeah. Okay. Well, then there's only one alpha in the world, and that's the world's strongest man then, because everybody is a beta to that man. Yeah. So, like, where does this logic go? Yeah. And are the, you know, and I, 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 I looked at, I, I didn't even know what some of these things were. One of my friends, I was like, what the hell is a soy boy? And they're like, oh, you know, a California guy who's like eating tofu and no meat. And I was like, Man, so what does that say about these vegan athletes that are professional football players, that are professional weightlifters? Yeah. And the guy who's saying it to me is a pimply-faced, chubby 22-year-old, right? And it's like, the, there, there's, a, there's an insanity to it a little bit. Um, and that also was the thing that actually made me really sad is when I would see the people who were coming out of the woodwork to, to try to you know, bully me, which, 
which was, man, look at my life and look at yours, right? And, or, you know, I had, I had this, this was a pretty crazy experience. A guy says to me, he's, 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 he's kind of attacking me and he's an anonymous. It's anonymous. A lot of these people are anonymous online, right? You're really brave if you're anonymous, right? And I, and I call and I would call, I would, I, I would shoot back at them. And I called this guy out for his, oh, you, you're, it's really tough, you know, to say what you're saying when no one knows who you are. And the guy writes back, well, I'm a lawyer. That was what he responded to me. Oh, so if you're a lawyer alpha, it's okay to hide and be afraid. And, it, and, and that idea of you're even more scared, right? Look how scared you are. You can't even own your beliefs. Um, and it really is, unfortunately, I said it kind of there, it really is a bully culture. It's like, hey, to be a man in, this, in that world, you, you're the more bullying you can bring is the more tough you are. And what, you know, and, and what's the thing that I think most of us learned about bullies in our life is that often they're, they're the most afraid, they're the most scared and they're projecting their fear out. Yeah, I agree with that. I think back with shame about when I used to work in a real estate business and, you know, I had all of these cocky salesmen working for me and I believed that I had to belittle them to, to maintain control of them. Like, you know, I had to be that top dog where they were all scared of rather than encouraging them and supporting them and, and, you know, really empowering them to be the best versions of themselves. And, you know, I learned some of that in my sporting world. And it wasn't until I started finding really good sports coaches of like, oh, wow, we can be really successful without shame. We can be really successful without bullying and teasing that exists. Uh, and there was a little bit of a difference in culture between America and the UK. There's, there's more of a teasing culture uh, in the UK. It's more acceptable. Um, but still, it's, you know, you definitely catch more flies with honey. There, there is a world um, where, as a national team coach, I never wanted to feel like I was bullying my athletes or shouting at my athletes yeah. or demanding they do things. I'd much rather... They're intrinsically motivated, and I harnessed that. That had much better results for me, and I saw those athletes really flourish because they enjoyed doing what they're doing. If you're going to be a professional athlete, it's really bloody hard work, yeah. and you don't want to add on top of that shame yeah. and bullying when you can empower them to really enjoy that process, and they don't try less hard. In fact, they try harder. You made me think of, you know, if you want to know the kind of man somebody is, show me his community. Show me his friends. And, you know, if you're an alpha, so-called alpha, a lone wolf, you don't have any community or friends to show me. And if you're, um, you know, I saw this guy the other day. I don't remember his name. He's huge. He's a very entertain-like personality. Um, and his thing is, you know, how do we, how do men become winners and not simps? And, um, his, he had these rules and it was like, never tell a woman you love her, never enjoy sex more than the woman does never compliment a woman's looks. Um, don't talk more than a woman if you're out with her. Um, I can't remember the other ones, but I was sitting there and I was like, man, I want to see who this guy's married to or dating. I want to see who this guy's friends are. And I want to see the, the thousands of people that are following because unfortunately I do all those things. But I have a, the most incredible wife. Nothing unfortunate about it. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Fortunately, I do all those things because I have the most incredible wife and the best, easiest, most fun, playful, successful relationship. I have an incredible family. I have incredible friends that are successful. I have an, you know, I travel and see the world. I live in a mile from the beach in San Diego, right? My, and I do, I'm doing all the things I'm not supposed to, you know, it, uh, it really, it, it breaks my heart a lot. Cause I'm like, man, there's people that are listening to this and really following this because, you know, this guy has got a flashy YouTube. He's wearing a, you know, he's wearing a really thick gold chain, um, and he's confident about how he's saying it. Well, Daniel Kahneman, I don't know if you've come across him. Uh, I think he's an organizational psychologist. I, I really should learn exactly what he does. But 
um, he studies human psychology and he can clearly point to, you know, objects don't bring you joy beyond the initial buying it and just a little bit of using it. For most people, the majority of people, objects don't bring you joy. What brings you joy is, is human connection, experiences, and most surprisingly, doing things for others. Yeah. So whenever we study it, being of service brings us the most joy. Yeah. So then you've got these unhappy people who are not being of any service because they're being taught that's weak and you should not be of service. And the people that are teaching them that are wealthy, but I wonder how happy they are. You know, there was one of uh, Andrew Tate's episodes or clips on his Huffley University. So this is a program he sells for $50 a month. You become part of this program and it's to help you be rich. Uh, and none of them are being rich, right? None of them have been successful. It's all gimmicks. It's a multi-level marketing thing. But he's talking in this episode about how you should leverage everybody around you. So, you know, you've got brothers, you've got cousins, buy a car, get them to be the Uber driver, and then don't pay them and rip them off. Ugh. And like, just use everybody around you. And that, if you're a sociopath, yeah. is possible. But, you know, what's, what level of society is sociopaths? I don't know, 2 3%, whatever it is, yeah, a, a sociopaths or psychopaths. So got, let's say we've got 95% of society that are just going to end up feeling shame yeah. and feeling embarrassment and feeling sad that that's how they're treating people. Yeah. We are community animals. Uh, we are very strongly community animals. And when we don't feel part of community and we don't feel like we have a worthwhile purpose, we get really sad, which is why there's many men around our age, not sure how old you are, but my age, that are committing suicide. And that rate is going through the roof yeah. because their first family ends, their marriage ends, and they don't have any friends. They don't have any male friends because they didn't know how to make male friends yeah. and they don't know how to keep male friends because they were like me who saw men as ways to do sport and be competitive and saw them as ways to meet women or ways to make money. And that was it. What do you suggest, you know, for men listening to this or for women that know men that should be listening to this, what do you have for them? Like what kind of suggestions to help them out? I mean, again, I'll talk about my experience. So I've had some very pivotal moments in my life. One for sure was working with, um, I was working with a chiropractor, um, having some back issues when I was younger and competing very seriously. And he said to me, a lot of this is stress. You know, it's not some physical stuff, but most of it is stress. So holding anybody and I'm like, whatever, we were going. Um, this is so like, I got to pause you. I forgot to pause you for one yeah. sec. Cause I was literally having this conversation with my brother yesterday. Yeah. He's having a lot of back issues, He's having some other physical issues. And I was trying to share that it feels like he's carrying a lot of the weight and the pressure and the stress of not just his own life, but his relationship, his, our family. And, um, it's hard to get that message through, right? You're like, whatever, woo woo guy. So I'm curious, like where, you know, well, so this is, this is one of the wishes that I have. I think I present as a pretty normal blokey kind of guy i've got an extensive sports background as you know i'm pretty big i'm going to be able to lift as much as you in the gym um i'm going to be able to get in a ring and box with you so i'm a pretty blokey guy and i'm hoping that's what's going to help connect with these guys that, you know my therapist had a ponytail and was you know reasonably wooey um he was also incredibly fucking smart mm -hmm. and and, you know, really knew how to help me. But so to go back to the stage in the story, I'm seeing this chiropractor. He says, you need to talk to my friend James. And James was the therapist. And for six months, I'm like, fuck off. You know, what are you talking about? I don't need therapy. You know, British guys didn't go to therapy. Men didn't go to therapy. Then we're talking 30 years ago, nearly now. Like, no way. Eventually, he well, you know, kind of dragged me down. He's like, you, I'll pay for it go and have this therapy session and send me to have this therapy session. I get there and it's like, oh, have all of my stuff therapist. Here's all my stuff. And um, six months into the therapy, 
the guy looks at me and he says, okay, it's time. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, time to get a different experience of masculinity. I'm in a men's group. Um, I want you to come and join and see what it's like. He said, you can't join my men's group because that would be a boundary, you know, ethical violation. But you can come and experience it once and get a feel of what it's like. And then there's other chapters of it that you could join. But I want you to come and see what these guys are like at the men's group. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be wooey and all this stuff. So I go and experience the night. And I just see these normal guys sitting around talking about the shit that comes up from them. And instead of getting teased and instead of getting judged, they received love and warmth and compassion and empathy. And I didn't even know that existed. I'd never seen my dad show empathy. I mean, he is the classical definition of a sociopathic narcissist. Like he doesn't possess the ability to have empathy. And suddenly I see these men with empathy and I'm like, I want some of that. I go on his discovery weekend with the Mankind Project. So three day thing. Uh, I go there. I have this transformation experience about how I can relate to other men. And I leave there different. I leave there with like, wow, I have choices. I have choices about what it means to me to be a man. And I know that I can have loving relationships with men. It doesn't mean I'm gay. And it doesn't mean I'm weak. And to use your language, doesn't mean I'm a soy boy. It means I'm part of a community that cares about the community. And it cares about our impact on children. It cares about our impact on our parents. It cares about our impact, our emotional relationships, between yeah. our romantic relationships. And that experience is the experience I want other men to have. I want them to go and have an experience where they meet men and realize that there is a different opportunity in one that you can live in the world other than locker room talk, other than just associating with men at sports events. Yeah. And even to the point now, like as an older man, at the beginning of the pandemic, I left my career as a cycling coach and moved into leadership coaching. And, and I've been going in that direction for quite a while. And it was now looking back, it was obvious. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, it was obvious that was the direction I was going. I'm much more interested in the emotional side of stuff than I was the physiological side of stuff anymore. So I'd already been moving that direction. And the first thing I did was start a men's group for my friends, because so many of them were afraid, they were lonely, they weren't going into work, they had no companionship. It utterly changed the relationship with my friends. And these were people I'd known for years, best men at my wedding, and, that, and those relationships became completely elevated. And now, three years later, almost to the week, those guys are still meeting each other. I had my 50th birthday party on Friday, and they all came. And some of them had never met each other in the flesh because they were in different parts of the country. And it just had never happened. They'd met each other in the flesh. Yet these guys love each other and turn up at 6.40 on a Wednesday morning to meet every single week. And they don't miss it. Like it's life or death if they miss it. I wanna, That's what I want to create. I want to say two things. One, happy birthday. Happy 50th birthday. Thank you, man. I also just want to put in for people listening that I've seen I've seen people hear this in a way that that get, is upsetting to them. So I just want to because and I know because I knew your intent. You know when when we're having a conversation like this and we use the term and we say you know guys will say that's gay or don't be gay. I just want to really clarify for for listeners that that are list you know people that are listening that um, first of all when we say that when when we you and I are talking about this like this. We have no, if someone's gay, it's totally fine. We have no, right? We, we don't care at all. It's, it's. Oh, it's, I've got, I, yeah. I come from Brighton, Alex. You know, yeah. half well, the community in Brighton is gay. Well, I, so I have I, lots of gay friends. Yeah, no, I just say this because I've, I've been in, I've been in conversations mm -hmm. and things where someone will throw out the gay as a negative, as an example of what men do. And I like to be really clear that, hey, that's not in, in our conversation. There's nothing wrong with that. You're gay, great. Like you're 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 non-binary, great. We don't we have no we want you to be whoever you want to be. And men historically use those negative connotations to insult other men implying that there is something wrong with it. And so when we say it, we just I just want to be clear that it's us using that example cuz men know that experience, but that's not the 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 meaning that we have with it. Um I love, and I just, I love I just, you clarifying that. And, yeah. um, you know, you're right. 
as a young man, I used gay slurs against other men. Um, and um, I was afraid of being seen as effeminate. And I think yeah. that might even be the better way of saying it. Like, yeah. don't be effeminate. Don't be weak. Don't be a pussy. Um, and, and, even, you know, and, and even in that, right? I love the, um, the as if being a woman is weak. Right. God. There's there's some women out there that can kick our asses. Um, there's some professional professional fighting. Not even not even some, that. I mean, I, well, they yeah. know it's children. I know. I was, I was going to say that after. I was like, yeah, none of us could do that. And how about this? They put up with a lot of our shit, and and a lot of us men, especially yeah. unconsciously, bring a lot to deal with. And it's not to say that men don't also put up with and have to hold a lot of what women bring, but. I know for most of the relationships I've been in, I was the problem for many of them. And the women were holding all that. And if they had behaved the way I was behaving, I wouldn't have, I would have been like, oh, I can't deal with this. Um, you know, I don't think that it's, there's a, a, um, oh, you know, this was said actually to me this weekend. And I thought it was beautiful. I was sitting with a former, uh, a guy, a former, a veteran, a young, a young veteran. And he said, I had a new appreciation for my mom because me choosing to go be in the service was the right choice for me, but it was hell for her every single day. And he goes, and I, and he, he could feel that if it had been flipped, he couldn't have been with how scary that would have been. And she had to live with that for however many years. And he had this full appreciation for how strong his mother was. And I don't think, right. We don't think about that. We think, oh, the men are strong. They're, you know, they're going to fight these things. But there's that person, that wife waiting at home, that partner waiting at home, whoever it is, man or woman, that mother, that father, that have to hold the burden of not knowing if their child's going to come home. That's strength. You know, that unknown. Um, and you're right. You know, I'm not, this isn't how I believe. This is what I felt when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, this totally. is a societal pressure I felt. Um, I had a very interesting experience um, in one of my men's groups. We actually had a man um, go through an incredible transformation and came out as trans and left the group as a woman. Wow. And watching the group hold space for that transformation um, was incredible. Like, you know, immediately they switched the pronouns they used. They changed the name of the group from being a men's group to just a group. And eventually uh, she decided that leaving the group was the right thing for her because she needed to be in uh, a more female-led or a trans-led group. But just the love that that group held her with was incredibly impressive to me. So being able to go through that experience, um, again, taught me more about being a man and what love means. And as you say, like all the labels, the boxes, it's all bullshit. Yeah. We come to this world with kind of, you know, unique personality traits. And a lot of the work I do with leaders is establishing your unique personality traits and then working on what we call your survival mechanism. What's the shield that you put on to protect yourself as you went through childhood? And we've got all of these men that because of their shame of going through childhood, being ridiculed or not being good at sport or for being smart or for being artistic, they put these shields on, these angry yeah. shields on. I want to help men let those go. Like, you are welcome in my sphere, and I'm sure in your sphere, exactly as you are. Like, turn up as you are. You want to paint your nails, paint your nails. Like, yeah. you, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. And, and I, I don't mean like I don't care as in, I don't care. I mean, I will love you yeah. however you turn up, and you will be welcome however you turn up. As long as you are kind and loving in return. That's and here's, and here's the ironic thing. That has you be, if you have the courage to be that, you're an alpha. You are an individual expressing your individuality proudly. What's more powerful and brave than that? No matter how wacky or wild you're doing it. And I think like, do I want to live in a world where every man is exactly the same in so many ways, or every woman or every person who doesn't identify as either. No, man, how much it's like, I see it as, you know, men on the other side of the aisle are trying to make men all one color. It's like they have a crayon box with 500 crayons and it's like, nope, we're all gonna be this color. And what you're doing is like, be whatever color you want. 
you know, or be all the colors in, in any moment that you want, right? Like live exactly how you want because you want to, and it's your one life. I think there's, a, there's an opportunity here for us and there's a fear with many of these men. They don't know what being a man is. They don't know what they want to be. They just know that they're unhappy and they're angry and they believe it to be somebody else's fault. So when you talk about these nefarious social media stars, they, they grab that and they say, well, if it's Democrats' fault or yeah. it's Republicans' fault or it's women's fault, you're not getting your fair shot or it's Mexicans' fault, right? Coming over the border and stealing your jobs from you. And it's, it's, it's that labeling that then congeals all these people together so they feel like they belong to something. But as you say, we're all so different. Even people that share lots of common values are very, very different individually by themselves. And it's having that confidence to go, what is it I want? And starting to understand that you have a choice. Yeah. You know, you talk about men and how they used to be. Well, there was a point when the man was the main breadwinner. And in this country could do that and get two cars and did the wife didn't have to work. Well, those days have gone now, right? The wealth gap is such that most families have two working parents if they have two parents. And that existence and that framework for men is gone. Now, what there is is a huge amount of opportunity. You can be whoever and whatever you want to be. And what comes with that is this, it's like the Netflix effect, right? And then like you, I sit down on Netflix like, what, what am I going to watch? An hour later, I haven't started anything. <laughs> I've watched like 52 minutes, you know, like... Uh, Ridiculous trailers for this stuff, but I can't decide. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of men are now. There's all this opportunity, but they don't know what their heart and their gut and their head want. Yeah. And we need support with that. That's what coaching is. You know, that's what I do with leaders all the time is support them in understanding themselves and what it is that's going to give them purpose. Yeah. And we're not allowing young men to discover their purpose and encourage them to have purposes outside of a fairly narrowly defined set. Yeah. Or at least that's how it was. Now, you can do anything. Anything. You know, advent of the internet means you can literally do anything as gainful employment. And these poor men just don't know what the hell to do. And I think that's why a lot of them are so angry. Because they, they've been told this message, America has the most upward mobility. Well, it doesn't anymore. They've been told this message that, you know, if they go to university, they're going to get a great career. Well, actually, there's no guarantee to that anymore. So they're having these experiences and they're not getting the outcome they've been promised. So of course they're going to get angry. And then, you know, nefarious actors are going to pick on that. These cultish types of personalities are going to pick on that and they're going to use it to make their own money. And they're going to tell you how you've been abused, how it's not fair, how it's women's fault, that women are now doing better in university. No, we're giving women opportunities. Now we just need to look at men and go, what's your opportunity we need to give you? How are we letting you down, society, right now? No need to diminish women for men to be risen. We yeah. can all keep rising up in the same way. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I've been using this example recently or lately, which is, you know, we, we regardless of men and women, we live in a masculine-driven society, result-oriented, disciplined, get things done, you know, the results over the people. And it's like, you know, our, energetically, our masculine is is up on a, if it's a scale, the masculine side is way tilted up. Even women have women to be successful have had to become more masculine. And what men are afraid of is to improve their life, they're going to have to lower their masculine and praise their feminine. And I'm often like, no, the things that make you masculine are fantastic. They're not bad. They're not toxic. They're fantastic. That's why so many things have been created in this world. But to get to the next level, we don't need to lower your masculine. We need to rise your feminine. We need to bring those other things, those nurturing, the creativity, the flow, um, the, the empathy, the connection, the community. We need to bring those things up because then when that feminine reaches the masculine, the whole thing can rise even higher together. And I love how you were saying, you were saying something very similar, but in a different way. Um, and you know, we don't need to make men less weak. We don't need to take away the things that make them men. But there are these other things that they can that they can get and learn how to be that that are already there inside of them. We're all masculine and feminine. We all, you know, we can be strong and nurturing all at the same time. But we have to bring those things up together 
because then that elevates not only the men, but it elevates the women. It gives permission for all of it to be acceptable and actually encourages all of it, not just gives yeah. it space. Um, I work with a lot of women and a lot of that work, as you say, like having to step into what we would consider more masculine traits for them to feel like they're going to be successful at work. Yeah. There's lots of traits that they have that allow them to going to be incredibly successful. They're very skilled at communication, very skilled at bringing people together, which are actually usually better indicators of how well you're going to do it yeah. than your ability to work as a solo person. Yeah. It's interesting. I, 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 I don't know if it's uh, my own stuff, but I tend to step more away from using masculine and feminine and just think of us as a whole regulated human being, whether you're a man as a woman. And there's those parts to it. I really like the stuff from, um, oh God, Young, uh, Carl Young, and thinking about the, the, are we a mature adult? Are we a boy? And just thinking about, you know, the boy is hero. So when we look at masculinity in the media, it's usually hero masculinity, which is boyhood masculinity. It's the prince. He goes off, goes to buy, he conquers, you know, in business, comes back, look at me and all of my riches. The king doesn't do that. That's the masculinity that I want. It, the king enables everybody else. The king empowers everybody else and lifts everybody else up with him and say, you're part of my community. That's what I think, you know, if we're going to use the term alpha, that's what I think alpha is, is you raise everybody else up around you. Yeah. You're the first to encourage people. You're the first to support people. And interestingly, moving from the sports world to the leadership world, I experience that all the time. I experience people like you. I experience my friends in the coaching world. And they're like, hey, let, let me recommend this lead to you. He's a great coach. I think he's going to be right for you. I think he'd be better for you than me. And I recommend my friends to people. In the sports world, it was much more cutthroat. It was like, no, I want that athlete. I'm not going to let that athlete go to you, even if you may be a better coach than that athlete. It was, as you said earlier, it was scarcity and it was competition. And that's when, you know, knowing the boundaries of what's healthy competition when it becomes unhealthy, when you're stunting people, when you're stunting their growth, that's where I think we can really gain as men. You're right, competition are innate abilities as men to want to fight. And I mean, fight metaphorically, right? You know, yeah. achieve things, yeah. do things, do, you know, make an impact on this world. That's wonderful. Without that drive, humans wouldn't be here. Yeah. And the drive for community for men is just as big as it is for women, but we haven't been taught that. That's yeah. been taken away from us. In tribal times, that's how men live. They lived in community, the community of men and the larger community. And now it's this solo wolf alpha bullshit. And that's why we've got a lot of very lonely men. You know, young, young boys now have friends at half the rate they did 20 years ago. Yeah. And that's so scary to me. And not only do they have half the friends, they also spend less time with those friends because a lot of those relationships are over social media. They're not in-person yeah. relationships. Yeah. And we get a different physiological hit from a social media friendship than we do in person. Yeah, it's one of the most common things I hear from men when I talk to them is if they're willing to admit it, I'm lonely. Yeah. And they don't have to be. There are men that if if multiple people are lonely, it means there's friendships available. Yeah. Right? If so, well, Lee, is there anything that you want anything else you want to share in this conversation? Any any other anything else you want to share or say before we we wrap up and and finish this episode up i think the last thing i want to share is um all the way back this guy i'm blanking on his name which is really going to upset me um who said to me you need to go and talk to james and he also said to me at the same time there's nothing like the love from being in a group of men I had no understanding for what he meant. You know, to use what I was saying before, I'm like, what is this? Some kind of weird gay stuff. I'm going to get initiated. Like, what is this? And now as a mature man, I love my male friendships so much. Like, it's so important to me to turn up on a Wednesday morning to be there for my mates. Yeah. I just spent this weekend away with five of my closest friends celebrating my 50th birthday. And it was incredible. It yeah. was so much fun. And we just sat and talked and shared food, went hiking, 
And, you know, teenage me wouldn't have known that that could exist. Yeah. And all of those men have shared with me at various times that they're lonely or they feel lonely, that they feel pressure to be something they're not. They feel shame about these pressures to be things that they're not. And I want to leave, you know, anybody listening to this, there is many men out there like me and you. Um, I have a lot of love to give anyone. I got a fuck ton of love. And just reach out and speak to us. I don't mean you need to use our services. I don't need you to buy something from me. What I want you to do is understand that there's a different way to exist as being a man that has much more fulfillment than you may be experiencing right now. Because I know so many guys that get to a certain point in life and go, well, I've done the American dream. I worked really hard. I have reasonable financial success. I have, you know, a, a, an attractive wife, a nice home. Yeah. And yet I've never been lonelier and I've never been sadder. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't have any community. And I didn't, and that's the bit that they don't, they can't quite get their head around this, that they need community. We are community animals. Hey, how do people find you? What's the uh, best play, best way to track you down, find you, reach out? Just to search you? me anywhere. I've got a reasonably unique name. So if you search Lee Paper, you'll get me all over uh, the internet. Cool. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for reaching out to me and saying you wanted to do this. I appreciate you. Appreciate what you're up to. Um, I love the friendship that we are creating and building. Um, and thanks for being of service. One pleasure, mate. I really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, I think I've told you before this, I'm always in awe of how much output you have and, and the effect that it has on people. And that's what really motivates me is how much impact can we have in the world and how can we draw other people in? Thank you. For, for everyone listening, thank you for being here. Um, if this episode resonated for you or you know someone that it would resonate for, please share it. Please go online, leave a review. That really helps us. And if you're interested in more conversations like this, I host a, a virtual men's group so you can be anywhere in the world and you can join us. With, so if, and if you're not a man and you know a man, you can send, it's a very, very kind of easy way to get introduced to this work. I also am hosting a men's retreat on the top of a mountain in Utah in a 10,000 square foot, unbelievable house um, and in the middle of nature with, uh, with my partner, uh, my, my business partner, Bob, um, we're going to take men through, through creating brotherhood community and really help men find whatever it is they're looking for. So if you're looking for financial success, you'll get that. If you're looking for improved relationships, you'll get that. If you're looking for community, you'll get it. If you're looking for happiness or well-being, you'll get it. We really, it's, it's a, it's a, a retreat. That's not about showing you how to do something one way. It's about helping you find your way to the thing you want. And we have had uh, fantastic success with that. Um, and amazingly, one of our mentors who's been doing this work for much longer than we have just decided to come and uh, join us as a participant, but also is going to lead a, a pretty cool exercise. So we're really grateful for that. Um, and if you're interested in that, reach out to me, alex at thedreammason.com. You can find out everything about me and this podcast at thedreammason.com. Thank you for being here. Lee Povey, thank you again. Uh, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves. <laughs>